Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Matt Dickinson. Matt, how are you doing? How have you been keeping? Yeah, I've been keeping good. Um, well, we're into the uh, the countdown now, aren't we? Till till football yes. football resumes. So I, you know, I can see uh, I can see a new a new world opening up at least uh, at least in a footballing sense, and that that has to be something to look forward to. At last, we can look forward. Indeed, absolutely. Have you been given any sort of guidance on what happens with journalists like yourself? Yeah, well, I've been talking a lot about that with the office. We're still waiting for final confirmation, but. You know, we think probably at the Premier League level, it's going to be one of us per paper um, allowed in for a game. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I suspect we'll be, you know, parking will be the easy bit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I imagine there's obviously going to be temperature tests for, for for each of us going in and then obviously segregation. I mean, how any kind of sort of press conference works afterwards, um, we're still waiting for, for final details. And obviously, there's going to just be the... the um, I've done a few behind closed games um, before, and mm. yes, they are they are different. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll take we'll take football any which way at the moment. But yeah, it's going to be a a really quite surreal and 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 different experience. But you know, it's not going to be football as we know it. But it will throw up all kinds of other interesting stories. We've been talking about you know, obviously we'll have to look at the Bundesliga has already shown how. The pattern of games can change. The intensity of games can change. The the time of the balls in play. Obviously, we got the fascination of seeing which teams come back fitter than others. You know, which players are fitter than others. Um, so, you know, this is it's it, and also I guess the fact that the season somehow suddenly feels very unpredictable again, depending on how those teams come back and how prepared they are. So there will be plenty to discuss, plenty of of stories around. Um, and you know, football is. One of the sort of great, you know, distractions, um, and it will be again. It certainly will, um, Gregor. You can hear it in the way Matt's talking. He's he's excited about it coming back. Are you equally as excited? I am, although I have to be brutally honest. And when I saw the fixtures released and saw how there's basically a game every day, that I'm slightly daunted by the, the prospect <laughs> of watching that much football. Because I'm, you know, I'm very excited to have it back. But um, it's they're certainly squeezing the games in. I know they have mm. to. But it's going to be uh, it's going to be like a kind of World Cup to finish the season. It's going to be it's going to be brilliant football every day. Yeah, although of course, if you live with someone who doesn't like football, then the <laughs> next month or so is just not for them. Neither is this pod, of course. But uh, <laughs> coming up, we are going to be talking about the ever-changing role of the on-field captain and what could be the next big barrier to be broken down in football. But first, it's time for this. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Okay, let's start with some exciting news for Chelsea fans. They have agreed a deal in principle to sign striker Timo Werner from RB Leipzig. The German international has a 55 million euro release clause, which expires on the 15th of June. It's set to be a £200,000 a week contract for Werner, who has also 
sparked interest from Liverpool and Manchester United, but the pair were not willing to pay the release clause. Over the last four years, the 24-year-old versatile forward has established himself as one of the most exciting young players in the Bundesliga, and his stats are impressive. 31 goals in 40 games this season, taking his overall total for RB Leipzig to 92 and 154. He's got 11 goals and 29 for Germany. Four goals in the Champions League, one of which came during Leipzig's 1-0 win at Tottenham in February. He has also amassed close to 300 senior appearances since making his professional debut for Stuttgart in 2013, but actually only turned 24 in March. So, Gregor, let's come to you first on Mr Werner. Does this look like this is going to be money well spent for Chelsea? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's he's one of the hottest strikers in Europe, undoubtedly. Um He's also versatile in that he can play on the wing, probably more comfortably from the left. Uh, but he's, and, and I think he really is a converted winger. But he's become a real poacher uh, at RB Leipzig. So you know, he's that's that versatility. I think is very valuable nowadays for for teams that play with a front three. Um, and he's as as you've sort of alluded to there, he's experienced a lot for his age. He's been playing first team football since the age of seventeen. Um, he was a real kind of Wunderkind uh, uh, Stuttgart. Um, well, well, so German well. Who there? knew? Like German, <laughs> Gregor. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> he, but he had a tough time there as well because I think uh, Stuttgart went down. They were relegated when he was there and he, it was kind of, you know, there was a lot of pressure heaped on his shoulders for, for someone so young. Um, but then at, at Leipzig, he's, he's improved year on year, first under uh, Ralf Hasenhutl, who's obviously the, the Southampton manager now. And then, especially this year under Nagelsmann, he's, I think, 25 league goals and eight assists in 30 league games. So, um, a key player for Germany, as you say, he's just turned 24, not yet at his peak. The only thing is the fee, you've got to say. You know, it's 55 million, that's the reported uh, release clause in his contract. That was before the world came kind of crashing down. That was a pre-COVID valuation. Uh, obviously, Liverpool hesitated at that. And it's a heck of a lot of money to, to spend, given the uncertainty um, in the world just now. So, you know, money aside, undoubtedly, uh, he's, he's someone who, who most elite football clubs, I think, would, would have been delighted to have in their team for, for next season. If you believe speculation, Matt, there was a suggestion that he did prefer a move to Liverpool. In that respect, should Chelsea fans be a little bit worried about that? I don't think so. I mean, you know, you could understand why he'd want to move to Liverpool. You know, they're they're the dominant force at the moment, aren't they? And in, in, certainly in England, and have have you know shown shown it in Europe as well. So, I I don't I I, I could understand why. Um, and you know, who wouldn't want to play for for Jurgen Klopp? Chelsea obviously is a, a team that's been in a bit of transition. Still, a young manager sort of finding his way, but you know, plenty to. Appeal there as well, not not least that two hundred thousand uh, quid a week you mentioned. But no, I, I I think that's just the nature of football. You know, club top players will look at their options, probably hope you know that a, a bigger big the biggest clubs in in the world come in for him. But Chelsea's Chelsea's not a bad place to land, and and yeah, I, I think it's going to be exciting, not just to see how he does, but how that affects the the pecking order at Chelsea, who've sort of Frank Lampard goes for has his sort of you know first choice first three if, if if there is such a thing well having been lauded for using academy players which of course we know was forced upon them 
due to last summer's transfer embargo. Do you think then, Matt, there is a bit of a fear that some of them might now get overlooked, some of those younger players, because of the fact that Chelsea have won their appeal against that two-window ban, reduced to just last summer. They can now make signings. So what happens in that situation with those young players that were coming through, but now Chelsea can spend? Well, I think that, you know, that is the reality of certainly of the English top flight, isn't it? And I think, you know, if I guess if we're getting specific, it's hudson Adoy who probably yeah. is the one um, with the most to to look over his shoulder about. I think Tammy Abraham's a very different type of player to Timo Werner. You know, he's, as as Gregor says, he would be more likely, um, he's a goal poacher and a goal scorer, but seems perhaps best used to be coming off the off the left flank. Um, and I think, you know, so I think Hudson-Odoi is the one that, that's got, got the most to prove. And I, I don't think that's a new thing. I, I do think there's been questions that I'm aware of about, you know, his his attitude and application. Not you know, not that he's entirely lacking in it, but just that there's 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 more to come from him and more for him to prove. And this adds to that, shall we say, sort of pressure and expectation on him. And uh, you know, if you're going to succeed at the big clubs, that's that comes with the territory. Well, Werner is set to join Hakim Zayech, who's joining from Ajax for £33 million on July the 1st, as new additions at Stamford Bridge this summer follow that transfer ban. The club are also interested in bringing in a new left-back with Leicester's Ben Chilwell, their number one target. Uh, Gregor, Chelsea, it seems, aren't hanging around in terms of recruitment then for next season. So does Frank Lampard deserve more credit for the job he's done at Chelsea so far? No, I don't think so. I think he's getting... I think he's getting the credit he deserves. I think, look, let's be honest, he inherited a team that finished third last season on 72 points and with nine games to play, uh, they're fourth with 48 points. So, you know, I think in February, in fact, late late February, they had the lowest points haul of any fourth place team since 2004. So, obviously, as you've mentioned, there were circumstances. He had, there was a transfer ban. He had to, uh, utilise the academy players more so. I, I think he, you know. I think he would have been someone who'd been willing to do that anyway, and that that willingness has been part of what of the reason he was brought to the club, and it's part of the reason why the fans are kind of doubly excited about the future under him. So, um, I think what you can say is that he's convinced. He's certainly done enough to convince the hierarchy of the football club that you know it was. He was a risk. He'd only had a one year at Derby County, but they've done it. He's done enough to convince Abramovich and Marina Granovskaya, um, and now Peter Cech as well, obviously, who's who's a technical performance advisor. So, you know, I think having some harmony, there's always seems to be with <laughs> with Chelsea. There's either they show their willingness and intent in the transfer market early in the summer, and they get the business done, and you know that usually heralds a successful season, or it's absolute turmoil and, you know, there's a sullen manager in the dugout like Mourinho or Conte um, and that that usually signals that it's going to be a, a tough season. So I would say that this obviously points towards uh, more success and if Chelsea were to to add a couple of more players, I think, like a left-back and a centre-half probably, most importantly, uh, they'd certainly be looking at narrowing that gap. So, Gregor, you're optimistic that it all points to success. Matt, when you consider where Chelsea are right now, they're fourth in the table, uh, as we mentioned, had to use a lot of their academy players, and they're fourth in the table without Eden Hazard as well. So how far away do you think Chelsea could be 
from becoming title contenders one day? Well, that's 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 a big call. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you you look at pure points, and um, they're as near to the the bottom three as the top one. I think. I mean, obviously, that's a bit freakish with Liverpool's um, yeah extraordinary points tally. But I, I, I think. Greg is right. Look, these are exciting signings. You know, certainly they. Yeah, I think Chelsea have been, you know, very decent to watch many times under Lampard. These signings should make them, you know, real. You know, give them a real sort of box office feel about them. But I think it's, you know, he's a young manager still learning on the job. I think he's going to make plenty more mistakes as he learns on the job. Equally, I think he's a bright guy who will learn from those mistakes. But yeah, I think it's too much to expect that they suddenly sort of surge. You know, the twenty plus points that they're going to need to become title contenders. I think that if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be, I'd be really encouraged. But I think, you know, let's sort of take it one step at a time. Uh, but that all said, Gregor, with these signings that they're potentially making, they will expect, and I'm talking about the, the new players, they will expect that, that Chelsea will be in the Champions League places next season. And that's something you think they can achieve. Well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, that's the thing. It's not a foregone conclusion this season. So, um, I, I would, exp- I would, I think I would expect them to to get over the line. And yeah, as you say, if you're signing players of this this uh, of this stature, and more importantly, once the season's over, I think probably we still don't know how the transfer window is quite going to work. But when they look look to do more business, uh, if they're wanting to be signing the kind of marquee, more marquee players, then they are going to have to be in the Champions League, so it's, it is exciting for Chelsea, and I think it's kind of all, you know also a bit of a it reaffirms Roman Abramovich's sort of commitment to this, uh, which is which has kind of wavered a little bit, or there's been question marks over certainly in the last mm-hmm. uh, couple of years, um, and what you know with all the the wave of young players coming through, uh, and if, if adding a couple adding a few marquee signings, I think that they certainly will narrow the gap. But as Matt says, the the, the gap to the to the top two, to Man City and and Liverpool is is going to be very difficult to bridge in the short term. Well, sticking with Chelsea, more reasons for them to be cheerful after a weekend of celebrations, having been awarded the Women's Super League title. The season was ended using a points per game system, and Chelsea finished with two point six points compared to Manchester City's two point five, having played a game less and were sitting second when the campaign was halted by coronavirus in March. It means that Emma Hayes has won her seventh trophy in eight years, as well as a fourth league title. And Matt, I know you know Emma Hayes well. Just how good is she? Well, she's certainly one of my favourite people in football. To be honest, I, I, you know, I say that having you know been fortunate enough to ghostwrite sort of help her with some columns that she did for us in the the last Women's World Cup. Spent you know some decent, really good time with her then, and I I just learned so much, you know, and I you know I, I guess people might assume that you would from any sort of senior figure in in football. You certainly hope so, but I, I have to say I learned as much from her certainly about. Uh, management about how you handle groups of players um you know as well as tactics she's just got a brilliant way of communicating she's got a really interesting take on uh how you you know i mean working obviously in the women's game she was talking about the necess- how it's necessary for her to have a gender balance in the dressing room and how different um people bring different things um and how you know i think if if we get onto it in a minute if she ever worked in the the men's game you know how how that would 
play out and she thinks these things through really carefully. She was really interesting on, you know, researching why women seem to have a higher um, record of ACL injuries. She's interested, you know, she's, in, she's a curious person, a very bright person um, and obviously a very successful person. And I, yeah, I just found her just one of the most not just interesting but challenging person she's the sort of person you're interviewing and she'll challenge you to say well what do you think what what's you know you just just you've written this justify it and I think that's you know you can't get too many people like that in football who are open-minded and you know want to keep exploring potential she is widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the female game she's been tipped previously to lead the England Lionesses but has also been talked about as you just pointed out, Matt, as a future men's team manager. Is there any reason why she couldn't make the jump, do you think, Matt, to the men's game? Um, I mean, the, 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 the reasons I could give would all be the sort of, shall we say, the wrong reasons in the sense of, you know, prejudice and people jumping to, you know, lazy conclusions that it's not possible or, you know, judging her before giving her a chance. And as I say, they're... There's certainly obstacles, and she's more. She more than anyone is aware of those obstacles. But she's also the type of person who would say, "You know what? It's about trying to overcome them." And and I think, you know, I've spoken about this before. That 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 I think this is, you know, dressing rooms in the men's game would be improved by that very gender balance. You know, women bring a different perspective potentially to the. They bring a different uh, type of conversation. They bring you know different quality different potentially different qualities and and I think that's why is that a bad thing I I think you know all all male groups all women groups can you know can can get sort of blinkered in in a certain way so I I think it's you know obviously to to you know it's got to be a job done on the right credentials and on the right um talents but I think she certainly has an eye to it she's talked about it before about you know how liking to wanting to give it a go and I think it would be absolutely fascinating as and I do think it's an as and when she does give it a go. What, at what level, who knows? But I, I would be really surprised if by the end of her coaching career, she hasn't tried it somewhere. Is that is someone mowing the lawn, Matt? <laughs> yeah, is that is that uh, coming over a bit loud? Is, there's someone outside who's getting rid of some um, some shrubbery that's gone a bit wild in lockdown um, in, a, in, a, in a garden nearby. Um, uh, I, I apologise, is that... It looks like he's just finished. He's just putting away his his chopper, so to speak. So if um, <laughs> if if yeah, his his chopper is. I can assure you, his chopper is firmly away. Glad to hear uh, it's all finished and we're done and dusted. <laughs> oh dear, Gregor. Um, goodness, what problems do you think a female coach would face in the men's game? Do you think football players would actually be receptive to a female coach? I think on the whole, absolutely yes. Uh, I did my um, my UEFA B license in I think it was 2014 with with Laura Bassett, the former uh, England defender, and she was only only female candidate on the course. I think it was about 20 of us probably doing the course, and she was head and shoulders above anyone. She was the best coach out of that really? that kind of cohort by by a country mile. She had a brilliant rapport with everyone. She spoke with authority. Uh, that you know all all the things that cup that go along with the knowledge you would expect of someone who won won 60 caps for our country I think so you know, you know that's the kind of that's the late sort of slightly lazy assumptions that people make I think that you know they wouldn't be able to command a th- uh, perhaps be able to command authority or 
I, I don't I don't see it. I don't think that's true. I think if if, they, if it's the the right individual and the right character, as someone certainly Emma Hayes seems to be, I think that the 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 biggest issue would be the sort of external noise. You know, mm. any time a female manager has taken across, taken over a men's team, often lower down, and there's only been a few few instances, you know, it's made made big news. And so the the prospect of that happening um, in the Premier League or in in a Championship club or something like that, it would be an enormous story, and it would put so much pressure on the club, the individual, the team, everyone. So you know, I'm not that, that's not a reason not to do it. It's just the reality, I think. Uh, so I think you know the biggest issue would be the external noise. Yeah, well, I mean, Matt, where, where would you stand on it? Do you think we're at an age now where where football would be accepting of a female manager in the men's game? You know, you can't underestimate just the added burden of being the trailblazer, and that will just bring its own, you know, scrutiny. You know, you you you'll end up speaking for, you know womanhood as well as just trying to get on with your job which is tough enough being manager of a team you know I think you you know you end up being this sort of standard bearer and that's that's not you know that's not an easy responsibility to handle on top of as I say trying to you know take on the challenge itself of just you know making the best of a group of footballers so you know I think that's you know that can seem intimidating can seem daunting but as I say I think you know if if if, if anyone that, that I've met in the women's game is not going to be too daunted by it, it will be someone like Emma Hayes. I think, you know, I think possibly it you know, might be a few years yet, but, you know, she'll, she'd want to do everything she can in the women's game first and then feel like she, you know, she could go for it. But I, I think it's, you know, the most important thing is that the game itself keeps, you know, an open mind to, to the, the possibility and and why why shouldn't it? I mean, that's that's the, the biggest thing to ask. I mean, it's, uh, it's you know, no no one can come up with a, you know, a sane uh, rebuttal of that. Why? Why shouldn't it happen? Why shouldn't a woman be just as capable of doing that job as as any? And it's yeah, it it it, it will happen. And you know, I very much hope Emma Hayes is the type of person who tries to make it happen. In the conversations you've had with Emma, Matt, she has indicated that is something she would consider doing, just maybe not yet. Yeah, that's that's the sort of tone I get. You know, I think she's got enough on on a plate as she is. Um, um and also you know young child and and i think that's you know that's 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 enough to be to be going on with um so I, yeah i think she would she wants to do would want to do more in the women's game first but i think as well for her it's important just to keep the debate alive you know same way you know she's just not afraid of encouraging that debate the same way that she wasn't afraid of talking about smaller pitch sizes for you know some people would sort of be scared of that type of argument and tiptoe around it and think all oh, well, is that you know potentially sort of belittling the women's game she thinks well no what you know it's 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 a worthwhile you know even if they decide it's not worth doing to have smaller pitches or goals why not discuss it because it might make practical sense and I think it's the same with this it's look why not discuss it why not talk about it why not think about you know how it can happen why it should happen why you know uh, uh, and knock down these arguments about why it shouldn't happen and I think that's yeah, that's where the women's game, you know, again, it's back to that idea of open minds. I think she's just trying to trying to open minds, and I think you know, if football is such a, a sort of conservative with a small c world, you know, it's you know, without turning this into a VAR debate or anything like, you know, we see any change brings this huge sort of backlash generally, and and I think you know, football needs to open its mind to you know a lot more potential. 
you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now, Wayne Rooney's brilliant Sunday Times column continued this weekend as the former Manchester United and England skipper, who now wears the armband for Derby County, discussed the art of captaincy. He remarks how the role has changed throughout his career. From Dave Watson, his first skipper at Everton, a loud, proud, vocal leader on the pitch, right through to the likes of David Beckham, Stephen Gerrard, Duncan Ferguson, John Terry and Roy Keane, who all had their different styles, says Rooney, but all had certain qualities in common. He says they have to be consistent. They can't show weakness. They have to always show belief. If you go a goal down, you have to keep encouraging, demonstrate your calmness to everyone. The best captains I played for had different personalities, but shared those traits. So, Gregor, you've heard what Wayne Rooney has to say about a captain. What for you makes a good skipper? Uh, I, I kind of broadly agree. I think I think there's sort of three, probably three different categories of captain. I think there's a kind of traditional really vocal pillar of strength. Um, there's also a kind of a figure of calm and consistency and reliability. And the third is like a talisman who someone who, who is capable of winning a game on, on their own almost. But I think this I think the three, I think I think consistency is is very very high on that in the importance. I think they they all have to be respected in the, in the dressing room, and I I think kind of a fearlessness. It's and I don't mean by that you know drawing blood a la Terry Butcher. I just mean less prone to, uh, or certainly better better able to hide the kind of fluctuations in confidence and form that every single footballer has. So when everyone in the team looks at them. Even if they are feeling those those sort of seeds of self doubt that everyone that everyone has, uh, they're very they're, they hide them very well. <laughs> so everyone does everyone does feel those things. Um, but you want to look at a captain and see someone who uh, is fearless, not just in the way they play, but in the way that they approach the game. Matt, in your time covering football, have you noticed a change in the role of a captain? Well, I'm, I mean, I always find this a fascinating debate. Um, you know, not least having um, written a, a book about Bobby Moore, av- available in all good bookshops, obviously, um, um, or online retailers. No, I mean, but you know, that was, you know, he. Any debate around captaincy, certainly in English football, sort of, you know, will always come back to him. And I always found I found it fascinating researching him just to find out how 
you know, he, he never gave a Chilean speech. He, he barely spoke. You know, his his style of captaincy was just to attempt to, and often more often than not succeed, to be the best player on the pitch and, and the calmest player on the pitch and just say, sort of radiate a certain assurance. But the other thing I thought from, I found interesting from speaking to players from that team was, which I actually think is, the captaincy itself can be, over exaggerated because I think the best teams generally will have a choice of captains. I think it's very rare, you know, you could maybe look at, you know, Maradona as a, a player and captain for Argentina, and I'm sure there will people can find other examples. But I think the great teams generally will throw up three or four who could be captains, you know, they're just. And I do think that's, you know, if you look at generally at the most successful teams, that's generally the case. They have, a, you know, three, four five senior players who are willing to step up, take responsibility, pull on the captain's armband, be be a leader or support the guy who is carrying the armband. So, I, you know, the armband itself, you know, can be very symbolic. It can help lift a particular player. It can, you know, giving it to a particular um, player in a team. You know, we saw that Eddie Jones with Dylan Hartley. He thought Dylan Hartley would just give a different edge to, to, to the England team. So, it, you know, it can be important. I say it can be representative, symbolic, meaningful, but I actually do think it also can be over-exaggerated and that the best teams will throw up, you know, three, four, potentially five captains. Rooney compares the role to that of a cricket captain who helps pick the team and field placings, but says football captains have a less obvious role, but recalls how he wasn't afraid to use his power on the field. Rooney said this, United played Arsenal away and Louis van Gaal set us up in midfield with me, Carrick and Bastian Schweinsteiger going man-to-man against their midfielders. After five minutes, it clearly wasn't working, so I altered things, saying we needed to go back to our shape, but that didn't work either. And after 20 minutes, we were 3-0 down. Gregor, should a captain ever change the way a team has been asked to play during a game and so early on as well in a game? I mean, I won't say I'll ever, I've ever seen a... A captain changed their formation kind of early on in the first half of a game. Little tactical tweaks or kind of telling a, a player to sit deeper or to follow to mark a man a bit bit more closely. Things like that on the pitch, yeah, but anything else in my experience, ordinarily, you would consult with the with the manager, even if it was during the game. So yeah, I think some that, that could possibly go too far. Just quickly going back to what Matt was saying about, you know, teams have the the best teams, the great teams have in three or four candidates for, mm. for captains. The thing is that most teams aren't great. So, actually, I, th- I still think... A cap- I know it's, it's actually becoming unfashionable to say this, but I th- still think captaincy matters a lot. I think I think, I think think that it almost projects the image of the team. And I think Arsenal are a prime example of this in recent in the last couple of years. And if you look at when Xhaka or Aubameyang wear the armband... I think that's a kind of prime example of the fact that this is a team that's erratic, unsettled, uh, and short of leaders. And there's, I think it's that's more and more common now in, in the Premier League. I think part of that's to do with kind of the way players are developed, societal change, uh, the game's becoming more about kind of holistic, tacti- tactical kind of organisation, and and the you know the team being all all powerful and supreme rather than individual brilliance. But I still think that there is a, a definitely a role for for that, and I think actually it's more it's more apparent when a team doesn't have leaders how much how important it is. So you know some teams might you're very fortunate if you have 
two or three uh, candidates for a captain. But if you don't, then it becomes it, it's almost that smacks you in the face how important it is. Hmm. I find it fascinating, the role of a captain. And perhaps I'll ask you this, Gregor, because I'm sure players see it as a, as a huge honour to be named a captain of a club. But as fans, do we sometimes do captains a disservice by assuming all they do is wear an armband and they're part of a coin toss? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I did... did... Do you think that's what fans think of captains? I think sometimes we just say, well, all it is is they're wearing an armband. That's, that's, there's nothing more to it because it's, it's not. And, I, you know, you can't help but sometimes refer to cricket captains and how they are so influential. They help pick the team. They, they obviously play on-field decisions they are actively involved in. Yet you don't tend to think of a football captain doing the same. No, I understand. It's kind of... Especially in English football, they kind of lionise the leadership qualities of above anything else. I just think it kind of, I, I like I say, I still think it's important. It's almost the way that it it's how it projects an image of the team because mm. it, who you hand the arm armband to says something about that football team. Whether it's because you've got a kind of, as I said, as I said before, a, a a supremely talented individual like Messi, and you think you know this is this is the this is the the main man of this this team. Or whether it's someone who is kind of an old-fashioned leader who, uh, I don't know, I still th- I think that says something about a team as well. Or if it's so, you know, or even Man- Manchester City is another example. Now, it's almost, they, they, they since Vincent Company left, the, the team decided amongst them to, to hand it to David Silva. And I, th- I think the last season has almost borne out that who, who Manchester City's captain is this year almost is a constant reminder of what they've lost. And how important uh, Vincent Company was to them. Hmm. Of course, Rooney also discusses the British attitude towards captaincy. He says some countries place less importance on football captaincy, but in Britain, we are right to see it as a major honour. Um, Matt, do we place too much importance on the role of the captain in Britain? Again, it's a really interesting debate. I mean, I know as Italy have at times just given it to the most um, capped player. Um, you know, as a sort of as a matter of course um i do wonder whether but this is us elevating not just the captaincy as but ourselves as a country it's sort of imagining that we create great leaders or that we you know we we look for great leaders that we you know we love the idea this big romantic idea of a of a sort of heroic english captain you know i think we do put that stock in it with a sort of assumption that's quite commonplace in our sort of football culture that that we can do it best and that we're you know we're we're some kind of leader role in in the game and we you know we're special in some small way and i i don't think it's um well obviously it's not been proven to be true in results um for the english football team but also i think it's Slightly dangerous. I mean, I think you know. Say, if you go back to Maradona for Argentina and and hear what what pride he felt when he was um, given the armband. I, I think he maybe took it from Passarella, but you know, there he that was the sort of greatest day of his life to him when he got it. We look at other sports or other countries. You know, you can't tell me that you know in rugby the leader of the All Blacks is not a hugely important symbolic role. We saw. What it's like for you know, say South Africa rugby to have a have a, a black captain. So I, I think you know it is seen as massively important in other countries, um, and I think maybe we tell ourselves that 
you know, being England captain is somehow this elevated thing because we're, yeah, we still cling slightly to this idea that we're, um, yeah, we have a sort of special, special le- leadership place in football. The level of detail that Wayne Rooney has gone into to being a captain. I mean, he's obviously talked about organising team meals and, and nights out, but also setting up an app, he says, to help new players settle into the area. Also, obviously, he's he's been the link between the players and the manager and had to, on the odd occasion, perhaps have conversations about bad training sessions. Uh, Gregor, has, in terms of what... I know we spoke about how, how a captain's role may have changed, but talking off the field... Is there so much more to a captain's job now? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't say that I would have played for a football club where you would set up an app to help. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, this certainly uh, there is another side to the job, I think, that, that you don't see. But I, I wouldn't say it's kind of all-consuming. I think, as he said in this, he, you know, when he first got the... Uh, was handed the armband, he sat down with Michael Carrick and, and Darren Fletcher and that they highlighted that that would be something that they could help help their teammates with so they so they did it you know I think and and maybe once or twice a week he sometimes have to go in to speak to the manager or to the coaching staff to relay the 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 thoughts of of your teammates over something it could be just be something as simple as, as traveling times or uh the, the meals that you're eating <laughs> so, honestly very very minor things like that so it's still it, that is another side of the job but the, obviously the most important part I think still is is the way uh, you kind of are an emblem of that team and the way that you are someone that everyone else uh, looks towards for either inspiration or for calm or sort of reassuredness um, and that's still the most important uh, role of being a captain. Who's been the best captain you've played under then Gregor? Um, I mean if it's hard to look beyond Des Walker, really, and and that that was when I made my debut as well. There was no one better, surely, in in English football at that time, for as a left back and I'm a centre half that was playing left sided centre half to make your debut and your your your, your early games in in uh, professional football alongside. He just talked to you non-stop, and there's things that he he told me that uh, that were seared into my memory forever, like things about holding a a defensive line. If you weren't in the, in a line with Des, with Des when he looked over his shoulder, he would tell you about it. So you know, it's <laughs> little things like that I remembered throughout my entire career. And but the thing is, that the thing that is interesting and kind of probably bolsters Matt's argument is that even if you didn't give him the armband, he would have talked the same same amount. But Des Walker was Des Walker. He played. He was one of England's one of the best uh, defenders of his generation for England, and. Um, so he had to have the armband, really, if he was in the team. And uh, often alongside him was either Wes Morgan or Michael Dawson, and they were both they both wore the armband as well. And they were future captains. One won the Premier League title, and uh, one captain Tottenham Hotspur. So th- those three guys st- stand out. And there's one guy that's a good friend of mine as well, a guy called Jack Lester, uh, played for Chesterfield alongside. Played him at Forest too, but at Chesterfield he was in his thirties, but he was he was too good for the level. Um, and he, you, if you were lined up in the tunnel with him before the game, uh, you just had, you just felt that he could win the game single-handedly for you. So him, him standing at the front of the tunnel, leading the team out, you thought we've got a good chance of winning this game because he's in our team. Wow, I love all that. Um, finally, then 
If you could play under one captain from past or present, who would it be and why? Matt, is Bobby Moore the ultimate, do you think? Uh, well, he's certainly, um, he's, he's certainly the guy with the, on the statue outside Wembley um, and the guy who lifted the World Cup. So he... Uh, no, I mean he's he's up there, but I I actually would probably if I'm going for my own uh, personal one, um, I have to go to uh, representing the England press team um, some years back when uh, Terry Butcher, uh, a, a, obviously a, a great sort of store classic sort of barking uh, big centre half England captain played uh, led the press team, and I still remember um, a slightly shambolic. Uh, we were playing in the England kit. I think I think this game might have been in Poland. We were, you know, say fully kitted up as England, and uh, Terry was obviously doing his sort of commentary at the time and 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 leading the team out. And I remember him turning around and seeing this dishevelled bunch of journalists standing behind him, and we were all sort of, you know, possibly slightly hungover and um, shirts sort of untucked and everything. And he basically turned around and barked at us to tuck us. Sh- yeah, this is England. Tuck your shirts in, you know. Raise, you know. Sort yourself out. You're representing your country, and I, I still remember the, the sort of fear and adrenaline that sort of burst through me. I thought, wow, you know, um, you know, he meant it. He was absolutely serious, and 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 it was the sort of, um, it was a great moment because you saw the the, the pride in him and the. Uh, you know, just the minute he pulled on that shirt, what what it meant for him, and he didn't want this say ragtag bunch behind him, uh, dis- disgracing uh, disgracing the shirt. We may have disgraced it on the pitch, I'm afraid, but um, yeah, it was just a, it was just a really great moment. So uh, Terry Butcher's my choice. How did you get on then? You say you may have disgraced yourself on the pitch. What was? Do you remember the result? I'd, luckily, I don't remember the result, but we've had. Uh, I have to say, the the England press team has not brought a lot of. A lot of we've we've had even less success than the England national team, uh, prop, proper team on the pitch over the years. Uh, yeah, we've had a we've had a few humiliations down the line. I think there was one game we played actually against the uh, the famous Tomaszewski, the the famous clown. I don't think, not sure it was that game, but um, no, nah, I'm afraid the uh, the England press team has had some pretty um, pretty mixed results down the line. Well, we'll swiftly move on from them then. And I know Gregor, you mentioned Des Walker then as as the one captain you remember fondly playing under what about if there was any captain past or present that you could have played with who would it have been I can't look beyond Roy Keane I honestly can't because and I say that knowing that I would have simultaneously loathed playing alongside him and (laughs) and but knowing at the same time that he would have elevated my play and the team's so like honestly I hated playing with people whose kind of default mode was was a moaner and there's a lot of them, <laughs> but and Roy Keane was kind of uh, moaning was more kind of visceral, obviously. But um, I know you know I, you look beyond that if you win, and and he would have helped helped me play better, and he would have helped helped us win. Roy Keane, I like it. That is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to you, Matt. Remember, you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search the Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you on Thursday for the very latest game podcast. Do stay safe in the meantime.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.